The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Thank you so much, ladies. So good to hear y'all. Thank you all the children leading us in worship this morning, and thank you for all the uh, adults who spent a lot of time working with them and teaching them, helping them hide the Word in their heart uh, through song. It's a great way for them to memorize God's Word, and actually we see it's just a great example of what we're going to see is God's plan for families in the kingdom of God as we're looking at Matthew chapter 19 today. Um, I'm going to invite you in just a second. Let me make sure I've got it open, but I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of our text today, which is Matthew 19, 1 through 12. So I invite you to stand now, and I'll read it aloud. And this will be our text of study this morning. In Matthew 19, 1 and following, we read, Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came to him and tested him. By asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning and made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And so they're no longer two but one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, well then why did, Jesus, why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, because of their hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And the disciples said to him, well, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to him, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth... And there are eunuchs who have been so made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Father, we just ask for your help this morning as we uh, see and read your scriptures. We come each day, each Sunday we come, and throughout the week we study, wanting your spirit to teach us the word of God, the truth that you have revealed to us that is good and perfect, your good and perfect will for our lives. Help us to to have open hearts, to hear your message. May we receive the truth with love. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Well, over the last few weeks, we've been studying Jesus' fourth discourse. We're in the fourth out of five discourses. Um, and in the fourth discourse, uh, we've been seeing God's will for his community of people, his community of faith. Um, as I was praying about it this morning and thinking about what, what this text is saying, and uh, the Lord was just kind of showing me this idea of this narrowing effect that I think will help us understand where, where Jesus is going with all this. If you think of the largest category of people as, as everybody in the world, or completely the culture in general, the, the scriptures often refers to it as the world, or Jesus is often referring to uh, us being light in the world. The world is everybody, and then from the world, we see God's redeemed people. Uh, the redeemed people are those who put their faith in Christ, who purchases them, purchases them from their sins, 
His blood gives them forgiveness. He, that they are trusting only in Christ. Uh, they, they realize that their own sin and they need grace. They need forgiveness. And so that's the redeemed people. He redeems them out of the world unto himself. But then the, the overall redeemed people, that could be also referred to as the church universal or the church in general, those people are broken up into local communities of faith called local churches. This is one of those. And so among the redeemed people, you have redeemed people in local churches where they together worship like we do and take the Lord's Supper and baptism. Those are two ordinances that are specifically given to the church to, to be a part of their worship. And so we see that Jesus is now saying, my people as a whole, but in particular, Local groups of believers should, should be a community of faith and they should be characterized as certain characteristics. They should have kingdom norms among them that will look different than the norms of culture or the world in general. And so he's been in this last, this fourth discourse, he's been explaining what the kingdom should look like in and among the church, in and among his people. And so what we saw a few weeks ago is, first of all, we should be a holy people. That, that as, uh, or we actually, first of all, it was the humble people. A humble people that as we see our sin, we realize our need for Christ. That's what unites us. We aren't united by our religious piety. We're united by the gospel, which says that we're all sinners saved by grace through faith in Christ. And so by definition, we're a humble people. We should be a humble people that we common ground of our fellowship is on our knees praising God for his forgiveness and his grace provided us through faith in Christ alone. But then he says, I want my people also should be known as a holy people. And so we saw how being in community, we're locking arms together, that, that you and I are taking responsibility for each other. We're helping each other live holiness. Uh, when you join this church, you sign a covenant to say, hey, I want to help the other members of this church be holy, and I want your help. I need you to help me be holy. And so we see the community of faith is, is humbled in their sin, humbled by the grace of God, and taking responsibility for one another to promote goodness and, and the glory of God, to promote his holiness and his godliness, to help each other obey his word. And then he said, in that context, you, you get, it makes a lot of sense. The last thing we want to do is cause each other to sin. And he had a lot of harsh words for those. He said, listen, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, this is not good at all. And so he's been telling us how life should be, what the kingdom norms should be, what the ideal is, what God's will is for his people living in community together. Now today, he is still doing the same thing. He is, he is responding to culture and saying, this is what I want to see in and among my people. So as we begin to look at this text, I want to start by asking us to think, what is the culture in which we live? We as a community of faith find ourselves trying to live out God's kingdom norms, God's will, in the context of a greater community. So what are we, what are we facing as we try to be faithful to the scriptures? In particular, we see today the topic of marriage and singleness. And divorce and all the issues related to that. So, so Jesus wants us to, to be known as the people who are striving for his teachings 
in light of a culture that's going to possibly be different. So I, I did some research, and I found in a secular journal of marriage and family, I was reading an abstract article that says, here's what the trends have been for the last four decades of the 20th century. Uh, in the study, they discovered, quote, there have been long-term trends toward individual autonomy and tolerance toward a diversity of personal and family behaviors as reflected in increased acceptance of divorce, premarital sex, unmarried cohabitation or unmarried living together, remaining single, and choosing to be childless. The study goes on to say that marriage and family life remain important in our cultural ethos, but the clear trend in our culture is, again, quote, increased acceptance of divorce, premarital sex, unmarried cohabitation or living together, remaining single, and choosing to be childless. And so that's the culture that we live in. That's the, water, that's the flow of the river that we are rowing in. And, and we have to choose either to quit rowing and just join culture or we have to row against culture when the Bible says that this goes against culture. And, and so what Jesus is doing to his day, to his disciples, is saying, listen, as you follow me, as you become the people that I want you to be, as you represent me in the culture, remember he's used terms like salt and light, as you are the salt in this world and you're my light in this world, here's the things that should characterize you. And we've seen he's inverted the value system in every single one of them. For us, it's humility when the world says it's all about lifting yourself up. For us, it's holiness when the world says it's all about following the desires of the flesh. And for us, we see now in the, the relationships within the families should also be counter to the trends that we see within the last four decades of our culture. So what does Jesus have to say about these topics? Well, before we think about that, let's ask what, did, what was the culture Jesus was dealing with? What, what was Jesus, when Jesus was dealing with his disciples, if they had done a, a, a study of the last four decades of their, uh, their culture, what would it have said? Well, the we, best place we could probably go is to go back to the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is, is clearly saying, you've heard it said this in this culture, but I want you to know this is what I say. Y'all remember that in Matthew 5, the first one? He said, now you've heard it said, but I say this. You've heard it said this, and I want you to be different because you're my salt, you're my light, you're my ambassadors, and you're going to look different than the rest of the world. And so he took a couple of the commandments of God's word because his primary audience was the Jewish believers, Jewish people who were, who were very passionate about the law, but they were misguided. They were wrong in the way they were handling it. For example, he chose a couple examples. He said, the sixth commandment says, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. Remember that? And he said, but I say to you, if you have anger, it's tantamount to murder. And then he took the seventh commandment. You've heard it said, or he says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, you should not lust. Lust is tantamount to adultery. Anger is tantamount to murder. So what was Jesus doing? The culture was saying, just clean your behavior up, and it really doesn't matter what's going on in the heart. And Jesus said the exact opposite. Jesus said, no, my disciples have a new heart. The Spirit of God transforms their heart, 
And so the difference of their outward behavior is fruit of an inward change that has taken place. That we put our faith in Christ, he gives us a new heart, he fills us with the spirit of God. And so we start to be loving our, of our neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself, instead of harboring malice and anger towards them, which the fruit of malice and anger is murder. And he says, instead of just lusting in the heart, he says, I want you to be pure in heart. I want you to be a wholly separate people. And the result of that will be, you will not commit adultery. So you see what Jesus was doing. His response to the culture was to address those issues that heart sins were tantamount to the behavior. So you couldn't just say, Oh, I got that. I checked the box. My physical behavior is good. I don't need grace. I don't need Jesus. I am self-righteous. And Jesus humbles us and says, no, we're all sinners that fall short. Every single one of us needs grace. And Jesus gives us credit for his righteousness. He changes our desires so that we live gradually, increasingly more humble and holy lives. Are y'all following me so far? You've been sitting a while and I'm going to see if y'all nod out. I'm going to be like, hey, come on, class. Listen, it's a lot, of, a lot of teaching today, but it's very important because we have to understand the culture that Jesus is speaking to to understand this verse. And so the culture Jesus is speaking to has gotten to the point where they, they, they are all about behavior. And what did they do with this marriage adultery issue? That's where we get here. The, the scripture says, do not commit adultery. And, they said, and then he said, and you should not lust in your heart because that's tantamount to committing adultery. And then they said, oh, Moses gave us this exception clause that if my spouse does commit adultery on me, I can give a certificate of divorce and I can be out of this marriage and that frees me to go marry someone. But what does human nature do with God's word? What do, what do I do when I read God's word? I find the commands that I like and that I think I can do, but I can't seem to find the other ones that are really challenging to me. They're just somewhere. It's not as easy to find those in the scriptures, right? Because we don't want to be convicted by those things. And so we, we take the exception clauses and we run with them. Oh, we, there's permission here. Let me run with that. And then we take the commands and we kind of like try to soften those. That's exactly what they were doing. And so let's get last, last bit of, of, of intro. So, so here's what they were doing. If a person, and this was, a, a, unfortunately, it was a man's world and women were treated with complete disrespect. And so it was all presented from the man's perspective that the man was free to dismiss his wife for any cause so that they could go and marry another woman and it not be considered adultery. That's, that's basically the norm. They had made, made divorce the norm. They took the exception and they turned it into the norm. And so the cultural norm was divorce is okay, just be sure you give a certificate before you go and get with another woman. Because if you don't do the certificate, you're committing adultery. So in order to not break the adultery command, all you got to do is give the certificate. Now, is that what God was intending with this whole plan for marriage? Not at all. And we know that. So, so what what we do see is when Jesus arrives on the scene, the debate is not about 
marriage or divorce, the debate is, is only about one thing. Divorce for certain causes or divorce for any cause. That was the debate. There was two rabbinic schools. One rabbi said, a little more conservative, you can divorce for these causes. Another rabbi said you can divorce for any cause. It was called any cause divorce, any and every cause. Literally, there's historical documents that says that people were divorcing their wife because they burned the toast. Dismissed them for any cause. Found something unfavorable in them. Divorced them. Just make sure you write the certificate so you can go marry another woman. Up walks Jesus and says, all right, I am God. Here's what my will is. That lust is tantamount to adultery. Anger is tantamount to murder. And then he comes and we see verse, uh, the verses that we're reading today. And they come to him and they says, Now when Jesus, verse 1, has finished these sayings, he went from Galilee. He entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And a large crowds followed him. And he healed them there. And the Pharisees, the ones that just were talking about, the Pharisees came up to Jesus and tested him. Asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? So what are they doing? They're testing him. They're trying to trip him up. They see his power is growing, and they're the, they're the religious power, full elite. They're the ones that want to keep power, and Jesus is growing in popularity. And so they come to Jesus saying, well, we're going to pit him against half of the people. Half the culture is about to decide they hate Jesus. And so he says, hey, Jesus, which is it? Is it divorce for some causes or is it divorce for any cause? Which rabbi school are you choosing? And what does Jesus say? In verse 4, he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning and made them male and female said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together... Let not man separate. So what does Jesus do in response to this question that presumes divorce? He goes past the... See, divorce is recorded in Matthew... Uh, is it recorded in Deuteronomy 24 where Moses said, if, if there's adultery, you can give a certificate of divorce. And he went back to Genesis. See, I told you every good preacher goes all the way back to Genesis. And so he goes all the way back to Genesis, and he's basically what he's doing is he's saying, look, you're all presuming my will is divorce, and you're just asking me which kind of divorce is right. He says, well, let's go back to Genesis and presume what is the norm for marriage? What is my will for marriage? What do I want? What is my good and perfect will for marriage? And so that's what we see in this, these verses. He tells us God's design for marriage, what he wants for his community of faith that may be quite counter to what we see in the culture with which we live. So he says some things that we can learn about God's design for marriage, and this is coming from Genesis. He's, he's, Jesus is saying that it should be one male and one female. It says in the beginning, God made them and he made them male and female. So we see the definition of marriage according to God's design is a man and a woman. One man, one woman. And then he says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one 
flesh. And so here we see the essence of marriage is one man, one woman coming together in a one flesh relationship that is not only the physical union of the relationship, but it's also the mental, spiritual, emotional union. It's coming together, holding fast to one another so that they are no longer two individuals, but they become one. They are one flesh, and what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so God is going, Jesus is going back to God's original design for his people to say, listen, here's what marriage is. It is a one flesh relationship between one man and one woman, and that should be a complete, in every sense of the word, a one flesh union, mind, body, spirit, everything should become one, and it should be for life. But then we see, as we continue to read in Genesis, where Jesus is speaking from, in Genesis, we see the very purpose of, or the very mission, or the very reason for which God created marriage in the first place. He looked at man and said, it's not good for you to do this by yourself. I'm going to provide you a helpmate. He brought them together, and then he says, now, and he starts to give the first command. And so the first command was was to be carried out as a couple. And so the helpmate is, is just the most intimate expression of the community of faith. You and I are locking arms and taking responsibility for each other, promoting godliness in each other's life. Andrew is pushing godliness in my life, and I'm pushing it in Andrew's life. Andrew's praying for me. I'm praying for him. I'm encouraging him where I see him weak. He's encouraging me where he sees me weak. He is a part of my community of faith, and all of us are doing this. But then within that church, within that community, that covenant community of faith, there is one man and one woman that they come together And they have the most intimate expression of that same communicated, that community covenant responsibility. That my spouse is God's gift to me to help me, to spur me on to love and good deeds, to help me be a worshiper. She is my worship partner. She is my accountability partner. She sees blind spots. She sees tendencies. She helps me, keeps me strong and faithful. She prays for me. She promotes godliness in my life. She encourages me to read the word when I get tired. She keeps me on track and I do the same for her. You see how that is just the most intimate expression of community that was already being expressed in the church. And so God says, that's my will for marriage. And then if God is so good to grant them to have children, the missional mandate, be fruitful, fill the earth with worshipers, means have babies and teach them to love Jesus. And teach them to have babies and teach them to love Jesus. So we see the normative plan of God to, to accomplish his mission of filling the earth with worshipers. The family unit of a man and a woman coming together in physical union to have children and to raise them as disciples and to send them out to do the same thing is fulfilling the missional mandate. When I dismissed it the first service, I said, go have babies. (laughs) And they were like, whoa now, pastor, hold on. But that's God's normative plan. Are there exceptions? Yes. Are there struggles? Absolutely. 
Do we have challenges? Are we sinful people? You bet. I don't need to tell any of us of that. But none of that redefines God's normative plan for his mission. And so the Pharisees are trying to test him. Jesus, they ask him about divorce. Jesus responds about God's plan for marriage. And they aren't happy with that. And so they say, no, we asked you about divorce. So in verse 7, he says, well, why then? They asked Jesus, well, why then did Moses command If that's God's will for marriage, then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart. But notice the key words in verse 7. Why did Moses command? And then Jesus says, because of the hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it wasn't so. See, he's not letting them redefine the norm. He's holding fast to God's original plan. This is the norm. No matter what's going on in culture, we don't get to redefine God's norm. And so he's saying, this is my will. It's my good for you, good and perfect will. From the beginning, this was my will. And I say to you in verse 9, whoever divorces his wife except for a sexual immorality, and marries another commits adultery. So let's, let's park here for a minute because those are hard words to, to hear and to understand. Let me say what he's not saying at, uh, up front. What he's not saying to those who have been through divorce and remarriage, he's not saying that you live in some perpetual state of sin and adultery. I want to say that very clearly. He's trying to make clear that the original divorce decree was given as an exception that if a man and a woman who were in that one flesh relationship, if that one flesh relationship was broken by another flesh relationship, was broken by adultery, then it wasn't that you had to get divorced, but if you could not reconcile, if it could not be brought together, then you could divorce. But in that situation, instead of just leaving the spouse and go moving on, you need to do it right, do it proper, and make sure that that has been recognized with an official certificate that then says it is okay for you to remarry because your spouse has broken the relationship already. And so just like he was saying anger is tantamount to murder, lust is tantamount to adultery. Here he is saying that divorcing someone just to go be with another woman is tantamount to adultery. You're not getting around it by just laying that piece of paper out there. And so when he says that if you divorce and remarry with, except for the situation of adultery, you're committing adultery, he's just saying you're not getting away with this. And so don't turn this into my new norm for marriage. Are y'all following with me? What he's, the logic of what he's saying. He's simply saying that you can't just use this piece of paper as an excuse to go commit adultery. He's saying honor marriage. Fight for marriage. And yeah, I know there are exceptions and struggles and challenges. And we live in a hardened heart world with lots of problems. And, but let's not lose sight of God's design for marriage. Now, I want you to know, I understand these are very hard words for a lot of people, a whole lot of people. 
And for various reasons. One is there are many people who have been through divorce. And it is just a terrible thing to go through. Terribly painful. There's nothing easy about having an arm or half my body ripped out of my body. It's just pain, bloody, painful, long recovery. I want you to know we love you. You are accepted here. You are welcome here. We're not compromising God's design for marriage, but we know that we are all sinners on the humble same ground. There's also people here struggle with same-sex desires. We live in a culture that is really, really wrestling with those issues. And so to hear God's design for marriage is one man and one woman entering into a relationship forever. A lot of people are finding that hard. So what do we do as God's people trying to be faithful to scriptures? What is the most loving thing we can do? It's not to compromise the word of God. It's to love you, accept you, and call you to God's will and encourage you and to come alongside you and say, listen, these are challenging waters to navigate. This is complex. Every situation is unique and challenging. But the way we work through it is not by changing and twisting scripture. It's by figuring out how we in these complex situations can humbly conform to scriptures. And so, so as the word of God is clear, we as a people want to uphold God's design for marriage. But remember, we're humble as brothers and sisters who are all sinners saved by grace, we lock arms and say, okay, I understand you're in a very hard marriage. Let's talk about how we can honor God best in this situation. I understand you have same-sex attraction, but let's talk about how we can honor God best in this situation. I understand you've been divorced. You're considering remarriage. I understand you've been divorced and you are remarried. Let's talk about what is the best way to honor God. Let's study the scriptures together. And let's seek to honor God because the most loving thing you can do for me is to never compromise God's word. If I struggle, I I don't know if I'm going to have a massive anger problem soon because this has been my running example for the last three weeks. But I don't think I have that yet. You let me know if I do. But but if I struggle with, with anger, as I said last week, And I think one time I said, and maybe it borderlined on abuse or whatever. What is the most loving thing you can do for me? Is it to say, ah, Tracy, that's not really, it's not really wrong. Of course not. You, You would not be doing me a service by changing God's word. But what you should do is love me, accept me, pray for me, encourage me, disciple me, and promote God's goodwill for my life. That's what we want to do for all the struggles that we have. So we don't compromise God's design for marriage, but if you're struggling with it because of all the varieties of scenarios that I can't even go through, just know we love you, we accept you, and we want to promote God's good will from where you are now going forward. Amen? All right, so we got that clear, what Jesus is saying, what he's not saying. He is saying that God's will is that marriages are one flesh, Worship partners, having babies if God grants that, raising them to to worship God and filling the earth with glory that way. So let's not, no matter what's going on in culture, 
Let's not compromise that teaching. And I know it's hard, but there's much grace and much love and much acceptance in the community of faith that is formed around the fact that we're all sinners saved by grace. So then the disciples heard this. You're telling me that they've gone, their mind now has been challenged from which divorce is okay to now let's try not to get divorced. And they're going, wait, wait, you're, we're supposed to stay married forever? Have you seen her cook? And Jesus is going, forever. That's the goal here. It's like we as pastors feel many times in marital counseling. No, this is forever. I was thinking this weekend, we were at college. We were at Tech signing, signing leases for a one-year contract for 17 and 18-year-olds. I'm like, I sat all the families down that were there, and I said, okay, listen, I need to talk to parents. If your kid changes their mind, you're still on the hook for their rent. This is a long-time commitment. Jesus is saying, listen, when you get married, we want this to be a forever commitment. And you know what the disciples said? Look at verse 10. If such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. Isn't that funny? They're like, wait a minute now. If that's what you're calling me to do, and that's exactly what we want to happen in premarital counseling, is once you hear the commitment, if you're like, I'm out, say, okay, let's go. Let's, we just saved you a lot of headache and heartache. And so they said, this is hard. It may just be better not to get married then. And so that phrase that, that if this is the case, then maybe it's better not to marry Jesus responds in verse 11. He said to them, well, not everyone can receive this saying. This saying being not everyone can get married. So Jesus says, well, not everyone can receive that, but only to those whom it is given. So what Jesus is saying in verse 11 is God gives the gift of singleness to some. Some people find the grace of God and the will of God to accept I'm not marrying. I'm going to be celibate. I'm going to be single. I'm not going to marry. I'm not going to have children because I believe this is God's will for me for pursuing the kingdom of God. I believe God is calling me to be so singular, devoted to him that a husband would be a distraction or a, or a wife would be a distraction. Maybe it's going to the mission field or maybe it's just right here on Shreveport, Louisiana. I feel like this is God's will for my life. And so he goes in to explain this idea of not marrying and not having children using the, the word eunuch as a metaphor. He says in verse 12, talking about this idea of celibacy or not marrying and having children. Verse 12, for there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. There are eunuchs who have been made so by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. So Jesus is speaking about remaining unmarried and not having children as a gift from God that is given to some. Jesus was not married. He did not have children. Certainly that's not a bad thing. So it's normative that God's plan is for communities of Christians to come together in marriage, to have children, to fill the earth with glory. But it's not sin not to. Jesus didn't. Paul most likely didn't. Paul speaks about the glory of singleness. 
He says, now, if you burn with passion, then get married. But if it's something that God has given you, then don't get married. Don't be distracted by this. Focus on Jesus. And so Jesus uses this opportunity to affirm and celebrate singleness. And we want to do the same as a church. Marriage is not like first place and then singleness second place. Marriage is kind of for those who are either burning with passion and can't deal with it, and so they get married, or they feel convinced that in, in and in that they feel convinced that God has called them to marriage. But for some, God is saying, My will for you, for the for the kingdom advancement, is for you not to marry because marriage brings a whole lot of distracting problems with it and responsibilities with it. And so I would say to everyone who's not married here today. Have you asked God? You know, we just kind of stumble down life. We go to school. We go to college, if that's the Lord's will. Most of us go to college, and then we say, well, I'm looking for my spouse. God may have a great plan for you, and it be singleness. So pray about it, God. Are you calling me to a life of singleness? Now, if you're sitting here as a young man or a young woman, go, no way. That's okay. He says... Some people can't accept this. Some people can't receive this. So if you can't receive it, then apparently that's not what God's calling you to. I I think about the mission field. People picture missionaries going to the mission field, clawing and scratching and dragging their heels. I don't want to go. That's not how it works. When God calls someone to the mission field, man, they are skipping and they are running, ready to go. The same thing. If God's calling you to singleness and not to marry, then you'll do it joyfully. And it'll be a glorious, beautiful picture of your marriage to Christ and his church. And so pray about that. Maybe that's God's will for your life. And so what we see in those verses, uh, just to summarize... Jesus is making a statement that some who otherwise could marry and have children and who otherwise would marry and have children, some decide it's not God's will for them to marry and have children for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. But he says, let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. So I think this means that everyone should ask, is this what God would have for my life if I'm not married? So what have we seen today? We've seen today that we live in a culture where, quote, there are long-term trends in which there's increased acceptance of divorce, increased acceptance of premarital sex, increased acceptance of unmarried living together, cohabitation, increased acceptance of remaining single, Increased acceptance of choosing to be childless. Against that culture or in the midst of that culture, Jesus says, here's my norm for my people. There are exceptions, but here's my norm. I want you to marry believers, believer, marry believers, one man, one woman, the two believers committed to the same purpose of glorifying God, promoting holiness and humility, that you come together And if God gives you the ability, you have children and you raise them to to love the Lord and to do the same. And that's the normative plan. The the marriage and family is is the normative plan that God says, I'm going to accomplish my will on earth through these, through the family. But there are exceptions and there are challenges and there are struggles. He says, 
but don't let those redefine my plan. He says, if you've been divorced, I love you, I accept you, but let's not make that the norm because it's a, because it's a real challenge. And if you feel called to singleness, then praise God. That is glorious and wonderful. So where do we go with this? I would just say this. You know people, you personally are struggling with parts of this. We, we are all different places, but I would say as we come together as God's people, what God is doing is saying, listen, the word of God is unchanging and uncompromising and can't be changed, but we love everyone and we want to help everyone come into conformity of God's word. And many times that's a very, very complicated, messy process. And that's why we encourage you to join the church because we want to know you and, and, and have a relationship with you. We want it to be real enough to say, hey, how can I help you where you are? May God make us a holy, humble people for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and thank you that you have a perfect, good will for our lives and for your church and that you lay it out there in scriptures clear enough for us to work towards that in all of our frailties and all of our mistakes and hardness of heart and sin, Lord, but you, by your grace, forgive us when we, when we put our faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross. And Lord, may we worship you as our Savior, as our Redeemer, and as those who are your children who worship you and your spirit lives within us. May your spirit transform us day by day. May we focus on you and your glory and your glorious will for our lives. And may it transform our marriages, our families, our singleness, and all areas of life. We want to honor you. And I pray, God, with great sincerity that this church will be loving as we hold to the truth, but be loving, take responsibility for each other, that together we might honor you with our lives. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.